The gospel is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. Amen? How many of you are guilty here this morning? Me too, brother. So we are going to rejoice in the salvation that God has given us, the forgiveness of sin and the peace that comes with that. And this morning, I have another Bible story for you. In fact, uh, it's going to be over two Sundays. So uh, we'll be talking about the life of Gideon over the next two Sundays. If you've never heard of the name Gideon, uh, he's an amazing man from the Old Testament. Uh, He's only got about three chapters in the Bible, but he's known as one of the greatest judges in ancient Israel. Israel. Not that he was judgmental, (laughs) but judge in the sense that he was a leader. And so we're going to be reading about his story today. If you have your discussion sheet, you can go ahead and pull that out. Have your Bibles. Go to Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you this morning as we gather together, Lord, to be taught the Word of God. Lord, what a powerful thing. I pray that you would open up our hearts, that this would just almost be a special period. We wouldn't be thinking of our grocery list. We wouldn't be thinking about uh, anything else, God, but just hearing your voice, hearing your love, hearing the tenderness that you have for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, April 3rd, in the year 2004, There was news of an American soldier killed in Afghanistan. There was something particularly unique about this soldier. His name was Pat Tillman, and his story is quite extraordinary. Tillman had everything a young man could want. He was drafted into the NFL by the Arizona Cardinals in 1998. There, he won the strong safety position where he quickly broke the Cardinals' record for tackles at 224 on the year. He was at the top of his game, and for that era, he was awarded a $3.6 million contract, which was pretty hefty for a strong safety. He was in the highest in his position, and he was primed to make tens of millions of dollars more. In fact, if you know the story, the, the Super Bowl champions, uh, the St. Louis Rams, were making a very big offer for Pat Tillman, uh, and were going to pay him tens of millions of dollars for him to sign a long-term contract to be there. That was in 2001. And then September 11th happened. Not since Pearl Harbor was attacked had our country seen so violently all in one day such a huge catastrophic loss of life by the attack from an enemy. And so in May 2002, at 25 years of age, Pat Tillman walked away from the NFL, trading his multi-million dollar contract for a salary of just $18,000 a year from the U.S. government to be an army ranger. Now, he didn't make a big deal out of this. Maybe why you don't know the story. He declined a lot of interviews. He didn't really go into a lot of detail. He just told his friends one simple sentence. He said, I simply want to defend my country. Two years later, Pat Tillman was killed about 25 miles from a U.S. military base in southeastern Afghanistan. Now, of all the things that were said about Pat Tillman, his agent kind of summed it up in one sentence. He said, Pat, well, that guy swam against the current where few would sacrifice. 
it's easy to look at a guy like Pat Tillman and think, man, what a likely hero, you know? I mean, look at the guy. He even looks like a hero. He looks, I think he looks like the guy from The Incredibles, don't you? I mean, he's just, he looks like a hero, you know? He had everything, talent, money, popularity. He was tough. He was a man's man. NFL star, war hero, millionaire. And God used him, no doubt. But God doesn't always use the Pat Tillmans of the world. In fact, God rarely uses the Pat Tillmans of the world. God is simply looking for ordinary people to trust him, no matter what the fame, fortune, or accolades you obtain, or probably won't ever obtain. But God is looking to sow inside of you a power and a confidence that is extraordinary. As I've had some time to think and reflect, I do not think that we will live and dwell in relative ease and comfort like we have for so many years. I think the future is not written, but I also think there is an instability and you'd have to be almost have your head in the sand if you didn't feel it. And so we need to have that confidence and power to face the extraordinary times that I believe are coming. This morning, we look at a guy named Gideon. Yeah, Gideon, uh, he did those, he did kind of two things that made him extraordinary. First, he cleared out everything from his life that hindered him from God. And second, he focused in and developed his relationship with God. When you clear out everything that hinders you from God, sinful habits, addictions, things like that, and then you focus in on your relationship with God, the result is confidence and power, and everybody around you can feel it. Trust me, they can. They may not tell it to you, but they can feel it. There's something different about you. Not only have you been with God, you've cleared out the things that hold you back from God. Gideon is not impressive on the first look. Not at all. But Gideon has an extraordinary God by his side. And there's no greater joy when you can breathe deep and say, I have an extraordinary God that's by my side. The setting, as we go to the next slide here, the setting here for the story is ancient Israel. The people are the Israelites. They are in rebellion at this time. They're God's people in rebellion. The Midianites are nomadic raiders. They're taking advantage of the lifting of God's protective covering as the Israelites are, Israelites are worshiping another God at this moment, not trusting in the God that had just given them to deliver them through the Exodus. So the Midianites are taking advantage of this, narrating this promised land that has just been taken over by the Israelites, and they're taking everything they can. If it's not bolted down, they're taking it. Uh, Gideon is God's deliverer for this situation. And God, as you'll see, is the actual hero of the story. The problem is God uses tough times for both repentance and deliverance. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and whip it out. You can like, you know, like to hear the little, just so I know that they're out there. There we go. Yeah, they're out there. Uh, flip it over, and we're going to go immediately to our first point. Number one, before we accuse God, look in the mirror. Before we accuse God, look in the mirror. As we open Judges 6, we find that the nation of Israel is really coming off of a time 
of relative ease, as such happens when you win a major regional war. Israel is about 20 to 30 to maybe 40 years at the most removed from maging from winning a very major land campaign that saw them conquer most of what modern Israel is today. Think of America in post-World War II. We had won a very major war. And in the period right after that, it was a time of, of economic growth and ease and things just got better and better, multiplied and multiplied. This is somewhat the situation they're in. However, it took them a lot, a lot sooner than us to begin to lose some of that. But it's still a time where the bills are paid, the kids are behaving, business is good, everything's kind of coming up roses. And as it tends to happen during this time, Israel began to forget God. Once the good times came, the God times left. And even worse, than forgetting God, they divorced him and they began to worship and follow other gods, the sex and fertility gods of the people that they had just conquered, that God had just conquered through them, the worship of Baal and Asherah. They just saw God conquer all of the people who worshiped them and now, a couple of decades removed, they began to worship them. But the lure of sex and money and power is powerful. And so they began to decay into this kind of worship. Picking it up at Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now the Midianites were extremely powerful. They oppressed the Israelites. Once a year around harvest time, these nomadic raiders would come and invade Israel. They would take crops, they would take tools, they would take girls, they would take everything they, they could find and, and then go on back to Midian. So it was a very, very difficult time. Imagine uh, like locusts just ravaging the land. And it was so bad that around harvest time, instead of harvesting their crops, many of the Israelites would grab what they could and they would go live in caves for a few months or in the clefts of rocks or build these sort of strongholds that the Midianites would leave alone. So, <clears throat> essentially, this went on for seven years, but finally, the Israelites cry out for help. Now, here's my question. Why did they wait so long? I mean, seven years, you know? This is going on year one. I get it, you know. Maybe you think this is just a burp in history, right? Year two, oh, man, these, you know. But by year three, don't you think these people know they got a good thing going and they're just going to keep coming back and back? It, it does, it, seven years go by. Why did they wait? I think sometimes because they're a lot like us. They probably waited out until every possible option that they could control was played out. And then when they just couldn't take it any longer, then they cried out to God. You ever have that in your life? You ever have, I have that sometimes where it's like, I did everything I could. Oh, wait a minute. Why didn't I? Now I should pray. You know, if I had just prayed in the beginning, who knows what would have happened, you know? Seven years go by because they are waiting for every possible option to be played out. Verse 6 tells us that Israel had become poverty stricken. And a question I often ask is, how many times have hard circumstances come to us 
and we never stop to ask, God, what is your plan for, for us in these hard circumstances? Seven years go by, but if you're a lot like me, instead, we hold out, thinking we can handle it on our own until that moment comes where you're like, God, I need your help, and I need it now. This is what happened in the time of Gideon. Every trial in the lives of God's people is tailored by God to draw them closer to Him if you're willing to involve Him in it. Judges 6, verse 6 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that finally they cried out to the Lord for help. C.S. Lewis said it like this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How true that statement is. So number one, before we accuse God, we need to take a good look in the mirror and see where have we perhaps strayed off the path. Number two, God often sends a prophet or a sign during times of trouble. And in this story, the prophet is not yet Gideon. Before Gideon, God sends a prophet unknown, unnamed, and I'm almost glad he is. And he begins to tell the people of Israel, God is hearing your prayers, but you divorced them and you worshiped another God, so we need to fix that. He says in verses 8 through 10, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from, <coughs> excuse me, from the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the people you just conquered. But then the prophet says, but you chose not to listen to my voice. How do you react when I say the word prophetic? I can tell you this right now. Across the Christian spectrum, there are a lot of reactions. Some people are like, don't say the word prophetic. That freaks me out prophets, things like that. You know, that's like the spooky, scary side of Christianity. Do not mention the prophetic, you know. Then there's other people where, you know, everything they do is a prophetic moment, you know, and they're, they're journaling, you know, what is God teaching me or showing me when I brush my teeth this morning, you know. So you, you've got, you know, a lot of, of ends of the spectrum. But I have found, in general, most people kind of hold the prophetic at arm's length. I remember once I had a friend, and we had went and gotten prayed for by a pastor, and the pastor said, I feel like I have a word for you, and this word was dead on for his life. How did I know? Because I knew his life. And afterward, he got all, like, defensive, you know, and, he, and the pastor's like, you know, is that, is, that, is that bear witness in your spirit? And he's like, you know, I'm just going to have to hang that on the shelf for a while and see. And I'm like, what? Are you nuts? He just read your mail, and you're going to get all, you know, prideful and defensive about it, you know? So we have a weird relationship, I think, with the prophetic because it's something we cannot control. It's something that's a little bit extra biblical sometimes. That's not to say that it isn't based on the Bible, but it, it's, you know, it's happening in real time. 
And we can often sort of get a little... One of my encouragements for you this morning is this. Crucify that in yourself. God sends prophetic words, and they're not always from a revivalist at an evangelistic meeting. In fact, nine times out of ten, they'll come in a still, small voice that only you will recognize. But God, the moment we turn our relationship with God on, there are going to be prophets, signs, things that God does. One time when I was younger, before I was married, I was looking for an answer to prayer. And that morning, I'd opened my Bible and I had read a scripture. I said, man, that could be the answer to prayer, but I don't know if it's totally the answer to prayer. So I'll just, like my friend said, I'll put it on the shelf and see. And then that verse came to me two other times that day. It was as if God saying, I can do this all week if you want. I can have this verse by the third time. <laughs> I had began to feel convicted that I was testing God. You want to know what the verse was? I'll tell you. And you'll probably guess the sin I was struggling with. First, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's. Think God wasn't given a little prophetic word to me that day? Number two, God often sends a prophet or a sign during times of trouble. Number three, God calls us to be the answer to the problem he reveals. In these first two points, we haven't even gotten to Gideon yet. We're just setting the stage, so to speak. But by point number three here, now we're going to meet Gideon for the first time. We finally meet Gideon in verse 11. If you're in Judges chapter 6, you've got to go all the way down to verse 11. And we find him, he is threshing some wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Many of you would read that and it may go totally over your head, but let me, let me just clarify it for you. When you thresh wheat, in the, you, you don't want to do it in a wine press. Why? You want to do it in the field. Because in the field, all of the dross and the chaff, the wind kind of blows that away and you get to keep the wheat, right? You start bundling up the wheat and you got it. Well, he's doing it, a wine press, he's got a little underground chamber, you know, uh, how they used to do wine is they'd go and they'd walk on it and then the juice would come down through the filtered grates and it would fill up this little basin underneath. He is hiding in that basin underneath trying to get some grains of wheat. Why? Because he is terrified that the Midianites are coming. When we meet Gideon, he is a whelp of a man hiding in fear. Gideon has apparently been stung before, so he's underground getting his food. It's really a pitiful sight, full of frustration, discouragement, and fear. In fact, one thing I can tell you this right now, Gideon does not look like Pat Tillman now. He looks like the exact opposite of Pat Tillman. He looks like Captain America before the experiment. Some of you who know what I mean, you've seen that movie. Gideon, I mean, as much as we can make fun of him, remember this. 
Gideon's been beat down for seven years. For seven years, he's been stolen from. Who knows what kind of personal harm they've done to him? Who knows what kind of psychological trauma that Gideon is dealing with? He was attacked. This wasn't just a bad economy. This wasn't just paying higher taxes. This was assault. This was abuse. These people weren't nice. And when they took, they weren't nice about it. He could be on his third or fourth wife because they took the other two. This is, this is the world that he lives in. And so he's convinced, I'm small, I'm weak, I'm powerless, and I'm from a powerless tribe. That is the enemy's goal for all of us, to convince you you're small, you're weak, you're powerless, and you come from nowhere and nobody. Just keep breathing and one day he'll die and it'll be all over. That's his little voice that's going on inside our heads all of the time. And no doubt this is where Gideon was until we get to verse 12. But let's, read, let's start from verse 11. From verse 11 it says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, where Gideon lived in Israel, uh, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. Joash is his father where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? You know? God loves to laugh. I almost wonder if God was chuckling when he said it. This is no chuckling moment, but mighty warrior? He comes to a man who's hiding from the Gideonites, breaking his little pieces of thing, and the Lord says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's going, what, you know, are you talking about? He says in verse 13, uh, pardon me, my Lord, <laughs> but if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? And look at Gideon, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, you go, you go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon was spot on with the problem. God delivered us from Egypt and then left us out here to be hung out dry by the Midianites. God doesn't get in an argument with Midian. Doesn't even deny that what Mid that are with Gideon. Doesn't even deny that what Gideon is saying is true. He just simply says, you know what? Rather than belay the past, let's deal with the problem right here and now. Gideon, I'm going to send you. Be careful of some of the problems you pray about. God may call you to be the answer to some of the problems you pray about. In fact, a lot of times. God showed you the problem because he wants you to be the answer that is coming. He wants you to be the answer to that problem. In fact, I firmly believe, and one of the things I want to do and explore with you as your pastor is find out what unique problem God has placed in your life that you are called to be the answer to. Because I believe we're all here 
to solve a unique problem that God has given us. You may say, how does that look like? I'll tell you my unique problem. I love our country. I'm a patriot. I'm an American through and through. And I feel like my country is losing the Bible generation by generation. We don't know the word anymore. And if we don't know the word, we don't know God. And if we don't know God, we could be attacked by Midianites. So what problem have I been called to solve? It's to bring the Bible back into the world by focusing on it so much in our services. Amen? I mean, I, I could give you one sentence on a Sunday and talk about it for a half hour. Trust me. Me and Mark could take one verse and talk about it for three hours if we wanted to. It's what we do. We talk. But I don't want you to hear my voice. Because the less verses I bring into a sermon, that means the more of Tom you hear. But the more verses I bring in, that means the more of God you hear. That's the problem I'm trying to solve. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was attempting to solve the problem of worship. I didn't know the Bible then. I didn't even know I could talk then. It's a shame I found out. Huh? That's what some of you are saying. Boy, you really found out, didn't you, Tom? <laughs> but we had a worship team that was great, but it, I don't know, just lacking some life and energy. And I don't know, I didn't even know how to play music instruments. It was just something I, I was, that's the problem I felt God called me to solve then. So it just goes to show through life, you may have different problems, and you're called to solve those problems. How did I end up on that worship team? I was on another worship team. From a church that was four or five thousand people. I was three or four deep on the bench. And I visited a smaller church in, in the ghetto of Seattle. And I saw the struggles. I saw what they were up against. And I felt like the Lord said, this is a problem I'm calling you to solve. Best thing I ever did was switch churches. Because all of a sudden I was in the fight, in the trenches. Growing in the Spirit, serving by being an answer to a problem. So Gideon is explaining the problem to God, and God says, am I not sending you? Think about what problems. I know all of you think about this. Sometimes you tell me, sometimes you don't, but every one of you here, you've got to look around our church and say, man, there's a problem. There's a problem. Here's what God's not saying. Yes, tell the problem to, to Pastor Tom, and he'll fix it. That's not what God's saying. God's saying, I showed you the problem. Am I not sending you to be a part of the solution? Does our church need a fresh coat of paint? Maybe you're the answer to that problem. Does our church need more of this or that or whatever? Maybe you're being called to be an answer to that problem. Could we be this or that or whatever? Maybe the reason the Lord showed it to you is because that's the answer you're supposed to be. Now, it just doesn't just apply to church. Another problem that I feel called to solve is the problem of missing dads in the lives of teenagers. So, yeah, maybe even sometimes at the cost of the church, I take time to be with my sons. I'll knock off early, come in late. I'll work all night. I'll do whatever I can. I get my hours in. Don't worry. I'm not saying I don't work. But I'll finagle it all. 
so that I can be, so that those three boys can say, I had a dad in my life. That's a problem I feel called to solve. You know what I'm saying? So what problem has God called you to solve? Because here's his word. He says, am I not sending you? I like this next slide. Not just because I made it, but there's so, <laughs> there's so much truth in it because it's based on the Bible. He says, am I not sending you? You are God's child in John chapter 1. You're his friend in John chapter 15. You are God's masterpiece in Ephesians chapter 2. You have been justified. That means you don't, don't worry about your sin and all that stuff. You've been justified in Romans 5. You're free from sin's guilt in Romans chapter 8. You're a citizen of heaven's Philippians 3.20. And you will never be separated from his love in Romans 8.35. Amen. So if there's any part of you that's thinking, I don't know if I'm qualified, that's some pretty good qualifications right there. Just put that on your resume and you'll be qualified. Because God doesn't call qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? And then finally, number four, God's most common answer to prayer. You're not going to like this. <laughs> God's most common answer to prayer isn't, here's a billion dollars. God's most common answer to prayer is, yes, I'm going to fricassee your enemy. God's mo most common answer to prayer isn't going to be, everybody you voted for is going to be in public office. God's most common answer to prayer is, no matter what, I am with you. I am with you. In Romans, or I'm sorry, in Judges, when he says, am I not sending you? In verse 16, God says, I will be with you, and you will strike down Midian as if he were one man. See, Gideon's saying, okay, God, it's great that you're sending me, but we still have a problem. I'm me. They have an army of 150,000 men. And God says, I will be with you. And when you strike them down, it will be as if it were one man. It's an amazing answer to Gideon's problem. Sometimes I think we, like Gideon, we suffer from the I'm too disease. I'm too weak. I'm too poor. I'm too boring. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this or I'm too that. The next time God intervenes and says, I'd like you to be the solution to the problem. I'd like you to go to God. Yeah, God, I, that's a problem. I understand you want me to be the solution, but I'm to this and this and this. God, I don't think you realize who you're talking to because I'm just too stupid to take care of this problem. And you know what God says? I don't think you know who you're talking to. I'm not looking for your ability. I'm just looking for your availability for my power to work through your life. Amen? God says, Gideon, whoever you think you are or whoever others have told you you are, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. 
God says, let me remind you, if I am with you, who can be against you? If I showed you this problem, I didn't show it to you just for fun. I showed it to you because I want to solve it as much as you do. When God is with you, that's all the answer to prayer you'll need. Long ago, oh man, over 20 years ago, I did my first, led my first short-term missions trip with high schoolers. I couldn't get the older high schoolers to go. I think I got maybe one or two. They were all coming out of eighth, ninth, maybe a few tenth graders. So I say that to say they weren't just high schoolers. They were on the young side for high school. And at first we were having a little bit of a hard time getting kids to sign up. So I remember I was... uh, talking to one of the young girls who seemed really excited to go, and I'm like, hey, you know, we'd love for you to go. It's actually a pair of them. They were friends. You could go together, you know, be there for each other, and da-da-da, and they're like, "Eh." and finally they're like, well, just tell me this. I'm like, okay, what? Are you going? I said, yeah, of course I'm going. So you're not just going to send us over there to the missionary, but you're actually coming with us. Yes. I am your youth pastor. I am actually coming with you on this mission trip. Okay, we'll sign up. Where do I go? Did you get it? They wanted to know I was going to be with them. All the things we were going to do, all the places we were going to go, they could care less. They just wanted to know that their pastor, who to them was like the manifestation of God at the time, was going to be there with them. Now, I never forget when they said, but, but you're coming with us, right? Yeah. Now, I was new. Maybe they, you know, yeah, I'm coming with you. I think sometimes we say that to God. God, I, I'll step out on faith here, but you're with me, right? God says, yeah, I'm with you every step of the way. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come on forward. As we close this morning I'd like to come back to two things first of all what problem what problem is God calling you to solve really ask yourself that and second of all For those of you who do not, would not say you're a Christian or would not say you understood the gospel, but you would like to have a relationship with Christ, I want to offer you a way to begin that today. I want to offer you a way to just have all of your sins forgiven. No, you won't have every doubt taken away. I've walked with the Lord over 30 years, and I still seasons and areas of doubt that creep up. Faith and doubt sometimes can seem to walk hand in hand at times, but you walk in faith and the feelings come later. So if you could kind of bow your head for a moment, just in the quietness of your heart,
Just reconnect with the Lord. Reconnect with Jesus. And then I'd like you all to stand with me. Stand up and pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I admit, I need you, Lord. I need you. And I ask that you would daily fill me, free me, so that I may follow you. And God, I'm available. Show me a problem you've called me to solve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cause I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, and I will sing of the goodness of God all my life and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able and I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkness night. You are close like no other. And I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, and I will sing of the goodness of God. And your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, and I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me all my life. 
And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. And I will sing of the goodness of God. And I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. Can we give the Lord one more shout of praise this morning? Come on. Come on. Go ahead and put your hand over your heart. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. For those of you who prayed that prayer for the first time today, welcome to a new life, a new relationship with God, not as an unbeliever, but as a believer, not as a non-Christian, but as a follower of Jesus. May His face shine upon you and shine upon all of us. By His grace, you will stand and His grace covers you. And I pray as you walk out of church this morning, you will feel the peace of God settle in you. God's got this. The storm may be raging, but you got God in the storm. And as long as you got God in the storm, you got the best answer to prayer you could ever get. In Jesus' name, amen.